Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and natty light. God knows they won't get these picks right for its root. Root, root for the Cubbies. They can't win and it's a shame. For its one, two, three votes, you're out on Bracketology. Yay! Welcome to Boozy Bracketology, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chris, and I am here tonight with five amazing panelists, and we have got a really fun bracket for you this month. And we're topic we're talking something that literally no one is passionate about. Sports! Our bracket this month is quite simple. We are here to choose the most dominant athlete post-1980. So, or as we call it here, our lifetimes. With all of that being said, uh, Scott is uh, one of the panelists here tonight. He's the one that put the bracket together. We're going to hear from him in a second. But let's go around the room and say hello to everybody. You know what? Let's start with Scott. Scott, my friend, tell us a little bit about this bracket. Yeah. uh, First of all, thanks for having me on. Thanks for um, allowing me to piss everybody off because I know that's what happens when you make these brackets. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I can take it too. I can take the shots. Uh, yeah, this bracket was, was tough to make. Um, you know, started out as just kind of a a general best athlete of all time and went all the way back in time and then realized that maybe we should do our lifetime so that we have a little bit more to go off of, you know, not all of us watched, you know, 1910s baseball or, you know, the early AFL so you know we wanted to kind of keep it to where all of us had something to say broke it down into you know different sports in the in the brackets and um yeah it, it was tough it was really hard to narrow it down in each one I, I will say that and I you know hopefully I got some of them right but I guess that's for us to find out uh we are definitely gonna find out Scott are you drinking anything tonight my friend uh, right now I've got some water, but I'll probably switch it over after, uh, you know, one of the guests here risked me a new one in about 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you think it's going to take that long. <laughs> Speaking of the panelists, let's go over to Huntsville, Alabama. Mike, my friend, how you doing? What you drinking? I was so waiting for you to intro me with, speaking of not taking very long, we're going to go over to my... I wouldn't, I should do, I should have said that. You're right. I'm yeah, that's, I, I, I decided to uh, take it for you. I am doing uh, very well, actually. Uh, can't complain. Uh, I'm really excited to do this bracket. I'm feeling uh, a little intimidated because I know I got a lot of really, really knowledgeable sports people here. And uh, I'm, you know, just hoping that I can hold my own. But uh, tonight I've brought a beer that I thought was fitting for the baseball region. It's called Max Profits. Uh, Max has three X's and Profits has a Z. That's apropos of nothing. Uh, It is a sour frap style India pale ale with strawberry, pink guava, lemon, Tahitian vanilla, and milk sugar added. Which means it is going to be very very fruity. Uh, It is from the hoof-hearted brewing. So that's one of those say it aloud to get the joke, hoof-hearted, hoof-hearted, brewing, and they are out of Connecticut. Chris, you're, you're, uh... It's my neck of the woods. Neck of the woods, old neck of the woods. I moved to Florida, so we classed up a little bit. Uh, Did you? No, not It's Florida. I mean, it's still Florida. Oh, Mike, we're happy to have you here. We're going to bring it on over, all the way over. So Raleigh, North Carolina, Jeff, my friend, how you doing? What you drinking? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm uh, 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 just got uh, done watching a little bit of the Olympics, so I'm all uh, sports up and ready to go here. So uh, I'm drinking up a uh, uh, R&D Brewing uh, West Coast Hazy IPA from uh, right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, about two miles from where I'm sitting. Uh, it's a not usually an IPA fan, but it's a tasty little beer, and I have it on tap downstairs. So, uh, bottoms up. Mm-hmm. Uh, may I also say, Scott, I'll, I'll give you your first shot now. Uh, it's going to be interesting for me doing this bracket because uh, there is exactly one athlete representing my favorite sport here. So, uh, so that'll be a that'll be a, a, a fun time. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, it is going to be a fun time. And speaking of fun times, when I want a good time, I call Tim Dipple. Tim, my friend, how you doing and what are you drinking? 
I am doing well, my friend. I am doing well. Uh, I am drinking. It's my favorite annual release. It's got nothing to do with the bracket tonight, but it's the Stone Farking Wheaton Woot Stout. It's a, a collaboration between Stone Brewing out of San Diego, Fark.com's Drew Curtis, and Will Wheaton. They put this out every year. It is amazing. And yeah, I, I look forward to it every summer. I am extremely disappointed that I've never heard of that. That sounds great. Yeah, I think this is the seventh yeah, year. Maybe I'm, I'm impressed by this beer's existence, and I need to try it. <laughs> yeah, it clocks in this year at eleven and a half percent, which is a little bit low for them. Uh, usually, it's in the twelve or thirteen range. Uh, it's a bourbon barrel aged stout, imperial stout, and it is just delicious. It, it does and at that good. gravity, if you drink a couple of them, you will likely end up as a headline on Fark.com. So uh, that's convenient <laughs> as well. Yeah, probably true. All right. Well, we got one last guest here. Eric, my friend, how are you doing and what is in your glass? I am doing as well as I could be for a Monday where I work 12 hours. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> um, and I actually at, am drinking, even though I got to work tomorrow. So keep that in mind. Um, I enjoy cider more so than beer, so I have a Southern Tier uh, cider. It's a uh, honey ginger, and I've had this once, and I don't think I liked it, but I'm gonna give it another shot. Hey, I mean, if it's in your fridge, you got to drink it at some point. That's the rule. Exactly. Well, uh, I have a pick here. Um, I got this in New Hampshire earlier this year uh, when I was up north, um, and I literally spent forty dollars on this bottle because of the bottle. The liquor that's inside of it, I'm thinking is absolutely terrible because there's no way it's any good this is from the cooperstown distillery in cooperstown new york and this bottle is dope as hell so if you can see it the bottle Which none of our shaped, listeners can the bottle is shaped like a baseball i'll show it over to mike as well it is shaped like a baseball and the cork at the top is like the bottom end of a the the bottom end of a baseball bat oh that's badass it was a cooperstown distillery it's called cooperstown distillery and it is in Cooperstown, New York. I've got myself a pour here, a pour that I got, and I'm putting in a $2.99 glass that I bought at south of the border because all good decisions happen in yes. that part of South Carolina. <laughs> Pedro I, thanks you, Chris. Pedro does. I went to south of the border. I went to the clearance section, and I found rocks glasses in the clearance section. The the entertainment center so uh so entertaining that it needs five billion billboards to get you to show up oh my god i just drank paint thinner holy shit <coughs> oh my god that's bad <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate that's deeply unfortunate oh. the baseball hall of fame bourbon is not going in the bourbon hall of fame oh no 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 oh man if i could give this thing a razzy i would all right <laughs> oh you gotta, gotta switch it's... some uh Oma gang beer then uh just to cleanse it out of your uh out of your system oh. stain city at least next recording <laughs> i'm right. switching to beer that's for damn sure but we're gonna get started here so i will remind all of our guests all of our panelists and i'll remind our listeners at home uh when you're talking about these kind of brackets it's very subjective so we've got seedings the best way that we can and we do have play-in games in all four of our brackets so we're gonna start with our first play-in game Scott, you're going to kick us off, and this is a play-in game for the 16th seed in the baseball bracket. This, if you couldn't tell from the opening, is the baseball round. Scott, you get to choose between Clayton Kershaw or Justin Verlander. Uh, go right ahead. All right, yeah, let's get this started. Probably off on the wrong foot. Um this one's actually kind of a tough for a play-in. I mean, these guys are very similar, um, arguably the two most dominant pitchers of the last 15 years. Their stats are pretty similar. I think they have the same amount of all-star games. They both have an MVP, which is impressive for a pitcher. Um, so when I'm thinking about it, uh, I, all it's going to come down to me is Clayton Kershaw has struggled a little bit in the postseason, and Verlander has uh, one more, I think, no-hitter than than Kershaw does. So for me, when it's that close and I'm splitting hairs, I'll take statistics into account. So I'm going to give my vote to uh, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander picks up his first vote. We're bringing it over to Mike. War! Huh! 
Good God, y'all, what is it good for? Providing a direct numerical comparison of baseball players. Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm not even sure I could say that again if I tried. But no, uh, I actually had the very much similar problem to Scott. I think these are two very similar players. Uh, They've both been around about the same amount of time. They're both pitchers that have uh, excelled. And, uh, but because they're both in the same position, uh, I've looked at the statistics as well. And the one that I, I zoomed in on was their, their war, their wins above replacement thinking maybe that will help me. Nope. Guess what? (laughs) Clayton Kershaw's career war is 71.7 and Verlander's is (laughs) 71.8. So, uh, ultimately what I came down to is that since war actually increases, the more you play. And Kershaw has actually been around less often than, or less, not often, but less amount of time than Justin Verlander. And I figured, you know, worst comes to worst, Justin Verlander can always drown his sorrows of losing this matchup in his wife, Kate Upton. Uh, I'm going to give my vote to Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw has tied it up one to one. We're bringing it over to Mr. Woodhead. Yeah, that's, this is one of those things where, Certainly, if you faced either of these pitchers in the past 15 years, you were terrified. And that, that's kind of how I think of dominance in, in an athletic sense. And yeah, the, the, their their stat lines are so similar. It's really difficult to differentiate from them. I think uh, Verlander at his peak was a little bit more terrifying. I think you you hit that triple digit velocity and you're just, uh, you know, there's something about that 100 number that's so... Uh, um, uh, rarefied, I guess. Uh, and also Justin Verlander is from my home state of Virginia. So, uh, I will, uh, I'll give him credit for that and give him the vote. Justin, Again, this is such a toss up. <laughs> Verlander's got a two to one lead. We're bringing it over to Tim. So this is one that I thought we might be a little bit too soon to include either of them on the bracket, given that they're both still active. Um, but it really came down to who 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 do, who do I fear more? And I think at their peaks, I think I would rather not face Justin Verlander. Uh, so he's going to get my vote. Uh, Mike took my line about uh, he's definitely got the more beautiful wife uh, in Kate Upton. So I'm going to go ahead and cast my vote for Verlander. All right, apparently we're bringing in the looks of players' wives into this discussion. Eric, save me from this hell. What are we going with? So everyone said it. I mean, it's stat lines almost identical, right? So what you then look at is who do I hate? (laughs) Um, As a White Sox fan and uh, just having to see Verlander as much as I did, I, I despise him. Um, and I guess that could be more of a fear thing, too, because my team was always terrible and he was amazing. So I was just more jealous, afraid. But when you look at it, um, Verlander has seasons of just some a lot of a lot of losses. I don't know. Like he's I think one was like 17. He had one season. So and Kershaw, I think, maybe maxed out at like 10 losses in a season. So my vote goes to Kershaw. All right, Kershaw does pick up a vote, but it's going to lose to Justin Verlander, 3-2. to two. Verlander is moving on, and there is no rest for the wicked. Justin Verlander, the 16th seed, moves on to take on the number one overall seed out of the baseball bracket, and we're starting off with some controversy. Your number one overall seed is Mr. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds or Justin Verlander. Mike, we're starting with you. Of course, you're starting with me. Okay, so look, we're talking about baseball in the last couple of decades. The elephant in the room is right here in the number one seed. It's the PEDs, it's the steroids, it's the corruption of the game. Let's, you know, but in in my, and certainly in my opinion, um, and I struggled with that for sure in several of these matchups. But what I kept coming back to is I don't know, and and everybody, there's going to be some people that disagree with me, and I completely respect that. But for me, I don't know, at least in the first round, later on it can be more of a tiebreaker, but right now we're talking dominant players. And I don't necessarily know if that's 
that means we should be legislating the uh, the PEDs and all that kind of stuff. Speaking, when we talked about war, when I talked about war in the first uh, round, Barry Bonds has the is tied for the highest war of all time with Babe Ruth. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, he's yes, he's the career leader in home runs. He's got an asterisk by it for sure, but I still think in terms of sheer dominance. He has to go past the first round. He has he was intentionally walked twice as much as the next closest player on that list in his career, which tells everybody, like Jeff said, they were scared of him. And to me, that's dominance. I don't love it, but I got to vote for Bonds. Barry Bonds picks up his first vote, and I'll remind our panelists that both of these selections very well could have had an asterisk next to their names. And I'm looking at you, 2017 World Series. <laughs> All right, Touché. Jeff, we're over to you. Well, as a fan of the uh, team that beat the trash can heroes, I uh, uh, in 2019, I'm uh, um, uh, enjoy that reference. Uh, look, I'll rant about PEDs at length in the next episode, uh, but I just want to point out, Mike was talking about Barry Bonds being intentionally walked a lot and pitched around a lot. Uh, John Boyce from uh, SB Nation's Dorktown uh, and Secret Base actually ran some numbers on what a Barry Bond season would look like, looking at 2004, uh, if he just played without a bat. He just went to the plate without a bat, for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, his his uh, on-base percentage in 2004 was 609, which is absolutely fucking insane. If he had not had a bat, pitchers were so scared of him that he would have gotten on base at a rate of 608. Then some other folks ran some numbers and found that maybe that was closer to 567, but that's just bananas. You're putting a guy on the uh, on first base over half the time because you're so scared of him. I don't remember a single other baseball player that uh elicited that kind of response from people. And so, yeah, you got to give this one to Barry Bonds. You just got to. Barry Bonds is up two to nil. We're bringing it over to Tim. Yeah, I mean, the the PED discussion is going to be hit ad nauseum throughout the course of this. Um, but for the first round, you, you, you can't deny what Barry Bonds did even if it was aided, um, you know, we're, 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 we're dealing with an era in which we're wondering if pitchers are getting that, that aid as well. So, you know, we don't know what Verlander may have done. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, uh, but in this round, I'm going to move on Barry Bonds, despite the gigantic asterisk next to his name. Well, despite that giant ass, we're moving Barry Bonds on three. Giant ass, really tiny balls. Didn't know if you knew that. Barry Bonds is moving on three to nothing. We are moving over to see how close this is going to be. Eric, you're up. I agree with what everybody said. The, the PEDs, it's it's insane. But if you look at his career as a whole, Barry Bonds, he didn't really start to dominate with those on-base percentages and all that until he was 36. So he was just so much older so I, it, I think PEDs played a huge part in how dominant he was, more so than anything else. I mean, you can look, watch the movie Rookie of the Year. He was he was a normal human being in that movie, and then like two years later, he was enormous, and that's it. But with that said, even prior to his PEDs, he was still hitting 40, 30 home runs and just 100-something RBI. So I think he's still worthy of my vote at this point. Barry Bonds has an asterisk as he picks up his fourth vote. We're bringing over to Scott. Do we have a sweep? Yeah, I, I think Mike said it best. Uh, you know, this is 1980 to now, so we can't have a baseball bracket without having the PED discussion, and it's going to come up again and again and again with a lot of these players, and we need to just weigh how much of their dominance do we think was because of that. 
another wrinkle in this that we're going to get into in this bracket is going to be hitters versus pitchers in terms of dominance, right? Because pitchers, you're only going out to the bump, you know, every five days, whereas a hitter, you have a chance pretty much every single day to make an impact and be dominant. So that's what we're going to run into as well. You Obviously, I think it'd be easy to make the argument that, well, hitters are more dominant because, you know, they get more chances, but that's also the county arg- argument is, well, they get a lot more attempts to, f- they can fail a lot more than pitchers can. So in this one, yeah, you've got to go with bonds just based on if you get intentionally walked with the bases loaded and the, the team would rather give up a run than pitch to you, you, you got to make a pass the first round. So I'm also voting for Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is sweeping his way into the round of 32. This is going to get interesting, but we are going to move along. And we have uh, Jeff starting off the next round. And the next round, I think, is very controversial. One for me as a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan. Sorry, Eric. We are rivals today. Because we are taking someone who definitely took steroids against someone who definitely did not. And they both played in the north side of Chicago. We have got... The eight seed of Greg Maddox versus the nine seed of Sammy Sosa. Jeff, start us off. So I think, again, when you talk about dominance, you talk about, uh, and, you know, we're talking, you know, was it, uh, it was Scott, you were just mentioning the pitchers versus hitters thing. I think that actually benefits pitchers to some extent because, you know, you don't have to be on teams that win it all constantly. You know, you, you don't have to be getting on base every every time or whatnot. You go out there, you throw a great game every five days and you get to rest for another four days and you get to throw out another great game and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, you're also the one constant in the game, you know, your hitter, you're only up one out of every nine at bats for your team. Right. So it, but every pit batter has got to face a particular pitcher during that, during that game. So the pitcher has a huge impact on a game far more than any other, any single batter could possibly have. You look at someone like uh, Greg Maddox then who was an incredible pitcher for so long He's such an incredible pitcher that he has a statistic named after him. <laughs> a, a, a uh, what is it? Say twenty uh, a uh, shutout under hundred pitches. <laughs> uh, of course, he's the the career leader in that. Uh, Sammy Sosa was a very good hitter for a few years, but I don't think any I don't think he comes anywhere close to matching the level of dominance that Greg Maddox put in every time he was on the mound uh, for every game uh, that, that he went out there. So you got to give this one to Greg Maddox. To me, it's not even close. Maddox picks up his first vote. We're bringing this one over to Tim. So in 1998, if you were a fan of baseball, uh, you were kind of forced or at least I was as a as a 11-year-old, kind of forced into one of three camps um, because the home run race was going on. And it was, you were either, you know, Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa. And yeah, some people fell into that Ken Griffey Jr. distant third slot. But I was a Sammy Sosa guy. Uh, to this day, Sammy Sosa remains, despite all his controversy, one of my favorite players. However, the number 76 stands out in my mind. And despite the fact that I am a diehard fan of the Cleveland Guardians and <laughs> the the Braves did beat us in the 1995 World Series, backed by an incredible pitching staff of Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, and, you know, whoever else. I got to give this one to Maddox because that 76 number just stands out for me. Greg Maddox up two to nothing. We're bringing it over to Eric. I'm going to keep this really short and sweet here. Um, Sammy Sosa for as great as he was for that short span. Um, What did Greg Maddox clock his pitches at at the most is he's he's lucky to hit 90 miles an hour in the home run era like that and he just picked his corners better than anybody i've ever seen um i did not like him i just just i was not a brave fan and it's just to the respect that you gain for somebody who could just play as long as he did not throwing heat especially in that era my vote's definitely greg maddox 
Eric, I'll remind you, if you are a Padres fan, you can be a Greg Maddox fan, too, because that's where he ended his career. We are moving along to Scott. Yeah, so I, like Tim, was also Team Sammy Sosa during the 98 home run race. One of one of my earlier, you know, sports memories were, was kind of watching that go back and forth. But that was also when Sammy Sosa was dark-skinned, and now he's not. And so I don't, I'm not even sure how to how to think of him at this point. I don't even <laughs> I don't even know if it's still Sammy Sosa. So that goes against him. Um, yeah. In that same era, Greg Maddox, you know, like Eric mentioned, it wasn't sexy what he did, right? He wasn't going out there. He wasn't blowing it past guys like Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens. Like, he was just going out, hitting his spots, and it worked, right? He won four straight Cy Young Awards. But in addition to that, he won 18 Gold Glove Awards. 18 Gold Glove Awards. Like, that's ridiculous. So that's dominant to me because no one else had a chance to win any Gold Glove Awards. 18 of anything when it comes to an award, is dominant. So I'm also going with Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox has picked up a commanding lead, an insurmountable lead. We're bringing it over to Mike. Yeah, make it a sweep. This was a no-brainer for me. Uh, Unlike everybody else, I grew up a Braves fan in the 90s. The big three were my jam. And, oh, my gosh, watching Maddox play was just a a treat. I mean, he he was this nerdy-looking dude. and He just made hitters fear him. Like, he basically said, okay, Since chicks dig the long ball, I'm just going to make it so no one ever hits the long ball. He only gave up like 300 home runs his entire career, which is ridiculous. So, yes, I I was actually also – I don't know. It's been so long. I think I was on the McGuire train in 98. I don't really remember, but – I mean, I, you know, I was just rooting for rooting for both of them at the time, not knowing what we know now. Uh, so, you know, I did think Sosa, you know, he was a good player, had a few really good years once he started hitting the sauce. Uh, but no, uh, sweep it. Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox is a five to nothing win. Bring him into the round of 32 for what I'm going to say is going to be a fun matchup next round. I will say that I am now on my second glass of Cooperstown Distillery's bourbon. <laughs> I don't know if my taste buds have been burned off, but it's <laughs> definitely starting to grow on me. It's not as bad as I original thought. originally thought. Maybe it does actually taste like baseball leather. We're moving along. We have got, in the next round, speaking of controversy, a Yankees-Red Sox matchup. The five-seat of Alex Rodriguez, the 12-seat of Pedro Martinez, and we are starting it off with Tim Dipple. Oh, Lord, I cannot in good faith cast my vote for either player on this one <laughs> simply because they're a Yankee and a Red Sox. Um, but honestly, Pedro Martinez had a quality career. But I feel like the the dominance of his career, the dominant portion, was very short lived. Uh, it, it 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 at least felt like it only went on a couple of seasons. Whereas A Rod, he was dominant for so long at 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 what he did, and so despite him being a Yankee, uh, I got to give it to A Rod. A-Rod picks up his first vote. We're bringing the next vote over to Eric. I feel the same way with my vote on this. I, a Red Sox and a Yankee. One threw Don Zimmer to the ground. The other, <laughs> I, I, with who, how many people, like J-Lo, who's he with? Madonna? I don't know anymore. Um, but just for, like Tim said, Pedro wasn't, great for that long or was he i mean he didn't it didn't feel like it was that long where a rod he was around forever even after his ped mishap i guess i don't know maybe it was an accident that he took it i don't know um but just for longevity i'm gonna give it to a rod a rod's picked up his second vote as we vote to figure out who the best mlb analyst is next up we're going to scott well, for basing it off of analysis, I can't understand what the hell Pedro Martinez says most of the time he's talking. So that one makes it pretty easy. Um, 
I am. I'm going to cast my vote for a Rod as well. Uh, I wasn't like a huge a Rod fan. Uh, you had a lot of shortstops to choose from in the '90s, which was a, just a really fun time. Being someone who was a shortstop in little league and trying to choose one to look up to, a Rod was not my my choice. But can't deny. I mean, he he did do it for a really really long time. You know, we're looking at almost 20 years of of dominance for him. He played two different positions. He did it for three different franchises. So that not a lot of guys can can really say that. Um, real quick for Pedro Martinez. For those you know who do forget how dominant he was, go back and watch the 1999 All Star Game. He started that game and struck out four of the five batters he faced, and he was just insane in that game. Like, he was so dominant. Um, when he was on, he was unstoppable, but he wasn't on all the time, and it didn't last as long. So my vote's for A-Rod. A-Rod picks up his first vote, and that means A-Rod is moving on, and that means I can officially say my opinion. You three are batshit crazy. Jesus. <laughs> Pedro Martinez, when he's at his prime, was the sickest pitcher that I have ever seen. The sickest pitcher I have ever seen in his prime. You're going to get to talk in a second, Mike. Calm the hell down. The sickest pitcher I've ever seen. We're bringing it over. I'm not a fan of the guy, but the guy had wicked stuff. Mike, you're up. No, uh, yeah, I was just I was just kind of giving you the eye because, uh, to be honest, that was kind of what I was going to say. As, as A-Rod had a storied career, no question. Uh, and I think that he was – he did have a very high level of dominance – over the course of his career. And and it made this one tricky because the longevity in terms of overall, it's it's A-Rod, no question. Pedro was sick for set for about seven years between the late 90s and the early 2000s. He led the league in ERA five times, and two of those were under two. That dude was nuts. He was off the chain dominant when he was on his game during that. It was, and it was everybody, what everybody has said is exactly correct. It was a much shorter span. So I cannot fault everybody for moving A-Rod on. Ultimately, I think Pedro had a higher dominance high when he was on his game. So uh, just for that reason, uh, I am going to channel Napoleon Dynamite and vote for Pedro. Mike has picked Pedro Martinez, and I will apologize. Usually your host is impartial. Uh, this is baseball, no, and I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. I have opinions, but I will try not to sway votes until after uh, final decisions are made. We're moving the next vote over to Mr. Woodhead. So, A-Rod, you know, you got the uh, the Olympic championship, the World Cup championship, you know, that 2014 season, 13 goals, including the two in the championship game. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm talking about the wrong A-Rod. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, get back onto this. Uh, let's talk about Alex, not Amy. Alex, not Amy. Okay, got it. All right. Anyway, Alex Rodriguez was a uh, um, was a very good player for a very long period of time. Uh, this is the, that, that kind of argument between if you're really good for a very long time, is that better than being absolutely incredible for a few years? Uh, and I don't know how to answer that question. I do know how to answer that question in this particular matchup because that 2000 season from Pedro Martinez was one of the most bananas seasons I've ever seen. I think, you know, it's maybe like Josh Gibson's season was, uh, was slightly above that in terms of absolute dominance. Uh, I think if you, when you hit that sort of a peak, you've got to get the vote out of the first round, but it's not going to happen this time. So uh, I guess we get to talk more about Alex Rodriguez next time around. Uh, but uh, my vote goes to Pedro as well. Unfortunately, Pedro comes up a little bit short. Uh, Jeff, to, to kind of modify your comparison, I would say that's akin to, say, Cindy Koufax versus Cy Young. One of them burned really hot there. for a short period of there. time. One of them had an amazing career. They're both in the Hall of Fame. We're going to move along, though. Eric, you're up next, and talk about your battle of recent dominance. We are going over, is it the four seed of Mariano Rivera or the 13th seed of Miguel Cabrera? They were both really, really dominant. Um Cabrera had his triple crown season, which was, again, as a uh, White Sox fan, not a fan of that season. Uh, 
but then again, one's a Yankee and also not a fan of that either. So it really came down to more the longevity of it. And again, that, that word fear. Um, if you went against Mariano Rivera, you pretty much knew that the game was over. You didn't have a shot. Um, so for that sole purpose right there, it's got to be Rivera here. It, it just Cabrera had his maybe handful of dominant seasons where Rivera's entire career was pretty much labeled dominant. Mariano Rivera has picked up his first vote. Our next vote goes over to Scott. So we've got Rivera versus Cabrera in the battle of former Menudo members. Um, yeah, <laughs> this, one's, this one's tough. Uh, you know, this is like, it's like watching a telenovela, would, I would say. Um, I can't in good faith give the win to someone who came in for one inning and threw one pitch. And yes, okay, the argument is everyone knew what pitch was coming and they still couldn't hit it. But let me see you do it more than for just three outs a game. Uh, my vote's got to go to to Miguel Cabrera here. Uh, you know, again, triple crown. I mean, that hadn't been done in like almost forty years when he did it. And I mean, even still, obviously, he's you know not the player that he was, but he's still a force to be reckoned with at the plate. He you know goes up there. He's really more of a gap hitter now, but he's just a great swing. And what we're not looking at too is a really good guy for baseball right coming out of the steroid era just a, a really good guy for the game he's done a lot of charity work he's done a lot of donations and you know just a guy you could really get behind and say this is this is a guy that i'm rooting for so my vote is for miguel cabrera well miggy has tied it up one to one we're bringing it over to mike yep uh scott i actually see exactly where you're coming from uh and I totally understand that argument. And believe me, I don't want to, I, you're a hundred percent right about Miguel Cabrera. He was, he's a great guy. I don't want to take anything away from him and a great ball player. Surefire hall of famer. He's what well, he's going to, he'll, he'll hit 3000 hits this year and probably 500 home runs. He's got to be close to both. I mean, he's an amazing ball player, but I kind of agree a little more with what Eric said, which is if you're a play in a Yankee stadium in the nineties and aughts, and enter Sandman started playing, you just started packing your stuff up most of the time. I mean, game seven of the 01 World Series notwithstanding. I think I think Mariano Rivera might be more responsible for the run that they went on in the late 90s than any other ball player. I mean, he was just unreal. So I got I gotta give this one to Mariano Rivera. Mike has voted for Mariano Rivera. Luis Gonzalez might beg to differ, but we're bringing this over yeah. to Jeff. Mike, I wanna I wanna go back to that 2001 World Series. I remember watching that in a uh, hotel room in Reno, Nevada, that uh, uh, that game. And it felt like something just deflated after that. You know, Luis Gonzalez hit that little bloop-ass single to win things, and I don't think Rivera was ever the same afterwards. That and, and you That makes you wonder what was his dominance during the 90s simply because he had the name Mariano Rivera? If you you put out a little silly mustache on him and called him you know, George Wallace and walked him out there and made him throw pitches, would he have gotten rung up? Well, I mean, probably not rung up, but he probably would have blown a lot more saves. I think getting into someone's head like that, I mean, sure, that's an element of dominance, but... I feel like you know you're just Mariano to some extent did a lot of it with smoke and mirrors. Uh, Miguel Miguel Cabrera was just an honestly solid hitter constantly, day in and day out. I, I got to give it to Miguel Cabrera here. And with that, we've got another vote for Miggy. We've got a two to two tie, and for those of you that are new to boozy bracketology, once every round of the bracket. Our panelists have a chance on a two to two tie to lob a butt. Well, lob. That's right. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah. Lob a brother. The, the bourbon. Good whiskey. In. That's good. Good bourbon. <laughs> a <Yeah>. brother beater. <laughs> a, a, a buzzer beater. Now, it's the beginning of the bracket. All buzzer beaters are on the table. You get one per round. So this would be your one for the round of 64. Is anyone passionate passionate enough? to lodge their one buzzer beater in the round of 64 to try and sway Tim one way or another. Lock in your buzzer beater now. First come, first served. 
Oh, Tim, I think you're on your own, my friend. Can you make this decision for us? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad none of you wasted your buzzer, Peter, there, because my mind has been made up on this one for a long time. Um, when, when, when we're talking about the most dominant player, let's say we were doing a bracket of the most dominant first baseman of all time or of the post-1980s era, as we're talking here, would Miguel Cabrera come out of that on top? Was he even the most dominant first baseman to play the game? And I don't know that he is. I think you could make an argument that he is. I think you could. But I don't think that there's any debate that Mariano Rivera is the most dominant closer of all time. And for that reason, I am casting my vote for Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera will move on to the round of 32 as we big Mitty Miggy adieu. And we are moving on. Uh, by the way, you all got that decision right. I'm very proud of you all. For, well, three of you. I'm proud of three of you. Next up. We have got the vote between Randy Johnson, the sixth seed, the 11 seed, David Ortiz, and we're bringing it back to Scott. Yeah, the battle of the bigs here, right? Big unit against Big Poppy. Um, th- this one's interesting because, you know, both of them had, had long careers. Um, you know, David Ortiz, you know, Tim just brought up that argument about, you know, is Miguel Cabrera the best first baseman of like, the, the era, right, with some of his contemporaries. And David Ortiz, I think most people would say, is probably the best designated hitter during, you know, his time in his heyday for sure. But DHs, I mean, all you do is hit. You can't. I mean, the fact that you're a liability in the field, to me, that does factor in a little bit. But we are talking about dominance at what you do. And he was dominant at what he did, which was go up there and drive in runs. Big unit. I mean, every single stop he made, he was dominant, right? Montreal, Seattle, Houston, the Yankees, the Diamondbacks. Like, even that, towards the end of his career with the Giants, he was still a force to be reckoned with. Just that menacing figure on the mound, you know, at 6'10", 6'11", with the long hair and the beard in the 90s. I mean, he stepped in there, and, and you saw what he did, to, you know, with John Crook throwing the ball at him. And and for God's sake, that poor bird, that poor <laughs> defenseless, innocent bird. It's just not fair. I'm going to give my vote to Randy Johnson. <laughs> Does anyone remember when he did it to Larry Walker as well? Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. The, uh, yes. 97 All-Star game, 97. I believe. 97, yep. yeah. That sounds right. Because uh, that one was actually, I think, in Cleveland. So I was definitely paying attention there. Randy Johnson has picked up his first vote. We're bringing the next vote over to Mr. Mott. All right. So I'm going to write down the first two things that I had written down in my notes here. Number one. Ask that poor disintegrated bird which of these guys is more dominant. <laughs> and number two, it's funny that this is big unit versus big poppy. <laughs> so since Scott took all my lines, no, uh, no, I, I actually I, I pretty much agree with everything that that Scott said. Uh, and, and not to go back to to war too much, but and, and granted there were more position players to or replacement players, I guess, to compare Johnson with than. Uh, Big Poppy, but his war is almost twice as much as Ortiz's is. Uh, and not to mention, you couldn't put a shift on to reduce the impact that he was going to have on the game. Um, Randy Johnson got up on the mound and scared the hell out of batters. And it wasn't just his height and it wasn't just his mullet. It was he was just a, a pitcher that you did not want to face because he was very possibly going to make you look stupid especially if your name is John Crux. So, yes, I'm also voting for uh, big unit, Randy Johnson. Well, the gentleman I shared a nickname with in the college is moving, not moving on yet, but we've got a 2 nothing lead. We're bringing this over to Jeff. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing else to add to that except for the, the DH rule sucks and the American League should get with it and get rid of it. Pitchers need to be able to hit too, and no one should just be able to make a living by walking up there and standing at a plate. Uh, that said, David Ortiz is a great person, but uh, the big unit was far more terrifying. Uh, I think uh, Randy Johnson is 
the most fear-inducing baseball player I can think of at the moment. So, yeah, let's let's give the vote to Randy Johnson. Move him on. And that I think is Jeff's shortest ever contribu- contribution <laughs> to the Boozy Burgatology podcast. And that will move Randy Johnson along. I like the sound of my own voice, even if you bastards don't, so deal with it. I'll be hearing it all weekend, my friend. I'll be hearing it all weekend. Randy Johnson's moving along, but I want to hear from everybody. Tim, give me your opinion. If Randy Johnson got up on the mound today with that long hair and just held that glove right up to his face where you just see the eyes pitch uh, batters would still tremble in their boots at 50 whatever years old he is now they they would still be scared of what the big unit was about to throw at them and randy johnson deserves to move on to the next round Randy Johnson has his fourth vote. Eric, do we have a sweep? For people to be afraid of a guy that looks like a dad from an 80s movie, it's just shows you how dominant he was. Just the, the way that mullet, the mustache, everything. It's just the perfect package of the way he looks. And for him to throw the way he does against a left-handed batter, the ball's coming from behind your head. It's not coming straight at you. It's coming from, like... First base is is basically how it came down. It, it's insane to watch it even to this day. If you watch his highlights, just the way he released that ball, Chris Sale's got something slightly similar, but still not even close. Randy Johnson was just unbelievable as a pitcher, and it shows that he had double-digit wins from his 20s, 30s, and 40s. So, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson's moving on to the round of 32. Unfortunately, that means we're bidding adieu to David Ortiz, but we're moving on to your three versus 14 matchup. And I will say this particular matchup is not as easy as the seeding makes it seem. And because of that, we're starting with Mike. Mike, are we going with the three seed (laughs) of the kid? Ken Griffey Jr. Or the best base stealer of all time, Ricky Henderson. You're you're absolutely right because I, I I took a glance at this and I was like no brainer and then I then I actually sat back and thought about it and I mean on the base paths Ricky Henderson was unbelievable he was such a force to be reckoned what did he what does he have something like I should have written it down he's got like six hundred more stolen bases in his career than the next guy it's absurd. It, I don't know if that record is ever going to be touched, but they say that about all records, so who knows. It, so there absolutely is a lot to be said for Ricky Henderson uh, being being here uh, and all that, but it's been touched on a little bit about the longevity versus dominance sort of thing. And, and Ricky Henderson, one of his biggest strengths was that he had the longevity and he stayed relatively healthy. King Griffey Jr., struggled with itself to to put it mildly he was injured a lot in spite of that he still hit 630 career home runs i, I you got to go junior here i mean if if he had stayed healthy his entire career he'd be a, he probably he might be the career home run leader without the asterisks i mean he'd be in the conversation for greatest ball players of all time and really he probably is anyway i i Respect to Ricky Henderson and his amazing base running ability, but I am voting for Ken Griffey Jr., hands down. Ken Griffey has got his first vote. We're bringing it over to Jeff. Yeah, and I expect Griffey will win. But uh, So, Ricky Henderson has 1,406 stolen bases in his career. Uh, Second place, Lou Brock, has 938. that means that Lou Brock is actually closer to 46th than he is to first <laughs> in terms of stolen bases. That's wow. just absurd. And with the way the, the game of baseball is going, yeah, I think we can be pretty confident that uh, the, the, that record will never be broken because mm. they don't value the stolen base or well, the base hit as much anymore. Oh. Uh, I don't think someone's getting to 1,400 stolen bases in their career. Uh, I, I think Griffey was great. I, I loved watching Griffey, but 
man, Ricky Henderson, a guy who can get on base at a, a 400 clip for his career. And then basically every time he got on base, he was a second. That's valuable to me. That's uh, that's that's an incredible asset to a team to have the, your first guy uh, up at the, up in the uh, in the order. Just get on the second, get into everybody's head already. Uh, so you got to give it to Ricky Henderson here, I think. Well, Ricky has picked up his first vote. We are bringing the next pick over to Tim. Oh yeah. Um. This one is a lot more difficult than the seating would indicate. Uh, Ricky Henderson is way underseated, I think, at uh, at number fourteen. Um, looking at his stats, I mean, statistically, almost fifty percent of the time that Ricky Henderson got a hit, he also stole a base. Um, statistically, but. To this day, I don't know that we have ever seen a more perfect swing than that of Ken Griffey Jr. And he used that swing to perfection repeatedly. And so I've got to give it to Ken Griffey Jr. here. Um, we're, we're, we'll, we'll talk more hopefully, about Ken Griffey in the future. But that swing alone elevates him into the second round for me. Now the kid has picked up his second vote. We're bringing the next vote over to Eric. So far, this is the hardest decision I've had to make. And I live by, I say this all the time in regards to like hockey and things like that with Wayne Gretzky, is if you took Ricky Henderson and put him, not even today's game, start him in 1990 or even like 1995, would he have been that dominant? I don't think he would have. Um, where if you put Ken Griffey Jr. today, I feel he would still be just as dominant. Um, and that alone and I guess you can even add the fact that Ken Griffey Jr. had a video game franchise, so that puts him a little bit higher in my book, so I'm going Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. has picked up his third and decisive vote. He is moving on to the round of 32, but I want to hear from everybody, and that does include Scott. Yeah, you know, growing up uh, in upstate New York, there was absolutely no reason I ever should have been a Mariners fan. Like, that doesn't make sense. Where'd that come from? My dad wasn't a Mariners fan. It was because of Ken Griffey Jr. and watching him play. In my opinion, I think he's the most well-rounded and talented player that's ever played baseball. I mean, you want to talk about a five-tool player. There was nothing that he could not do on the baseball field in any aspect of the game. And it's, I believe with absolute certainty that he would have hit over 800 home runs had he not gotten hurt. He had one season of over 40 homers after the age of 30. He had six prior to being 30. He spent the majority of his 30s hurt you know this is a guy that averaged 44 homers a season over an eight-year span in the 90s and then all of a sudden it was over so fast and yet he still like mike said had 630 so if you know i'm not an accountant i don't crunch numbers or anything like that if someone wants to do that for me that's great but if you just look at that mathematically without a doubt he'd be the all-time home run king with no asterisk so yeah ken griffey jr 100%. Ken Griffey Jr. has picked up his fourth vote. He is moving on, obviously, to the round of 32. And we are moving on. We've got two picks left this episode. Let's see how this goes. We're starting off with Jeff. Jeff, are you going with the seventh seed of Albert Pujols or the ten seed of Mark McGuire, arguably two of the three best first basemen on this bracket? The choice is yours. Yeah, this is uh, this is a difficult one. Uh, I looked at Albert Pujols' stats because I loved watching Albert Pujols play. Even though, and you know, it's a, it's a it's a mark against both of these guys. They played for my least favorite baseball team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Hate those guys, uh, largely because 2012. Uh, but the uh, the the first ten seasons that uh, that Albert Pujols played in the league, he was uh, he was a, had an OPS of over one eight times. And I thought that was pretty amazing. Then I looked at Marvin McGuire's stats, and he had an OPS of over one nine times in a 10-year uh, stretch of his career. These guys were 
both just absolutely bonkers at uh, at, at what they did. Um, and it's really difficult to pick one player as as better. I think maybe Pujols was a little bit better defensively, and so I think I've got to give it to uh, um, give it to him at least at his peak. Uh, but you know, I. That's a hard, a hard uh, decision to make. So I'm going, I'm going Pujols, but I'm probably going to regret it. Albert Pujols has picked up his first vote. The next vote goes to Tim. Yeah, this is actually like one of my least favorite picks in the first round. Um, I stated earlier that I was a Sosa fan in the '98 home run race. And honestly, I just never liked Mark McGuire. Um, I know that that's not necessarily a mark of how dominant he was or was not. Uh, but I'm going to give it to Pujols because I simply just can't vote for McGuire. Albert Pujols has picked up his second vote. We're bringing the next vote over to Eric. I was a McGuire guy during that race, and then it came out about the whole PED stuff, and it it did it did hurt his stature, I guess, to me. Um, I feel like this would be a much easier vote if Poolhos didn't hold on for about four years too long. Um, if he would have called it quits maybe four years ago, it would have been an easier time for me. Um, but just for the fact that he doesn't have that that asterisk hanging over his head and he played the field uh, better. I mean, he has a couple gold gloves. But just, again, back to the PEDs, it's got to be Pujols in this. Albert Pujols picks up another vote. The next pick goes to Scott. So after I was done being a Mariners fan because they got rid of Ken Griffey Jr., I needed a new team to root for because I – just chose my teams based on players that I enjoyed watching. And this was right around the time that ironically, Mark McGuire um, had to retire due to injuries and the Cardinals called up someone to actually replace McGuire. And that was Albert Pujols. Pujols came up. uh, We talk about him in the field. People forget that he initially played third base for them. Then he moved to left field before he landed on first base. So he had defensive versatility earlier in his career when he was a little bit younger. And I'm glad that he's moving on because he does get lost in the shuffle because he lost out on about four MVP awards that Barry Bonds won that rightfully now, if you look at it, probably should have went to Albert. Um, and so he does, he, I feel like he is one of the most underrated players actually, because he's just so consistent and he was so good, but you just had guys, your Barry Bonds is your a rods and other guys that were eclipsing him in popularity and, with the numbers because you know everything was inflated so i to me this is Pujols and it's not close because all mcguire did was hit home runs he would come up to the plate and he would hit a home run if not like that's it he wouldn't Pujols could go up there he could hit a home run he could hit a double down the line he could go the other way for a single he was just an all-around better player so Pujols is a choice for me well as scott describes the modern game of baseball we're bringing the next pick over to mike do we have a sweep so I did uh, mention earlier about Barry Bonds holding the career record for intentional walks, and it's not even close. But I did think it might be worth mentioning that the guy who's number two on that list is Albert Pujols, which to me suggests that pitchers maybe fear him just a little bit. Uh, you know, compared to McGuire, I think that uh, I, I think he has to move on. He is moving on. I'm going to make it a sweep. Uh, Pujols has the higher career batting average. He has more home runs. He has more RBIs. Uh, yeah, he's had a little bit of a dip later in his career, but, uh, overall, I think he showed the same level of dominance for a longer period of time. So I'm going to also vote for Pujols. Well, this is a baseball bracket. I assume they've all had a little bit of dip over their careers. We're moving along with Albert Pujols sweeping Mark McGuire out of the bracket. We're down to our final pick of the evening and it wouldn't be boozy bracketology without a little bit of controversy and a little bit of Recency bias, your two seed, the Rocket Roger Clemens, your 15 seed, the currently in his prime Mike Trout, and 
Do my eyes deceive me? We're starting off with Tim. So this one, I'm very interested to see how this one plays out personally. Um, For me, a lot of this is going to come down to the era in which they played. And there was a long time in like the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s um, because of where I was given the army and everything, I didn't follow baseball a whole lot. It kind of just fell off my radar for a while. And I think that's probably going to hurt Mike Trout in my voting. Um, Despite the teams he played for, I always liked Roger Clemens. Yes, I know he's got that asterisk above his head too, but I think I'm going to have to give it to Roger Clemens, and a lot of that is probably just the product of the era. He played in an era where I was closely following baseball. And the dogs have said their opinion. Roger Clemens has his first vote. The next vote goes to Eric. I'll start this by saying Roger Clemens is one of my most hated professional athletes of all time. (laughs) Um. Just never, not for a second. Anytime I saw his face, anything, I just wanted to punch it. Um, and just, yeah, not not for me. Um, and then I guess he, like, I think he pitched for, like, his son's college, like, in an exhibition game. I was hoping he got hit by a line drive. Anyway, that said, Mike Trout, great player. The word dominant doesn't seem to come to mind when I think about him. he's got good stats. He's got great stats. I wouldn't call him dominant. Um, It's, I mean, barely hitting over 300, occasionally under 300, not dominant. I don't know. His just dominant just doesn't work for me with Mike Trout. So got to go Roger Clemens, even though I hate his face and I hate everything about him. Roger Clemens has picked up a broken bat and thrown it at the feet of Mike Trout. We're moving along to Scott. Yeah, I mean, the reason for putting Mike Trout on here is is one, to, to get someone who's a little bit more recent. I mean, you know, if we have some listeners who maybe are just recent baseball fans, I'm not sure why you would get into it now, but it's not the best time. But just in case, uh, you know, put Mike Trout. And he is, you know, the most dominant hitter now, if you ask a lot of people. Now, is that saying a lot, like Eric mentioned? No. Because, I mean, if you look at the numbers compared to other dominant hitters in different eras, it's not close. But... You know, that's why I put him on here. I'm not voting for him. This is Roger Clemens to me. You know, you want to talk about how menacing and imposing Randy Johnson was. And I'm not saying that Roger Clemens was on that level, but the guy was just an asshole, like on the mound, off the mound. And but that's a good thing when you're a pitcher. Right. Because guys go up to the plate knowing that, you know what, this guy might throw at my head. This guy's going to give me a lot of junk if I charge the mound. Like, there's going, there might be some issues here. He was just a loose cannon at a time when it was fun to watch and when there were a lot of loose cannons. But also, he could buckle down, and if he was on, he would strike out 20 guys in a game. And that's hard to do, especially in the era that he played. So, Roger Clemens much more dominant to me. Scott's gone with Roger Clemens. Did he, Scott, am I wrong? He had two 20-strikeout games in his career. Is that right? Uh, yes, he did. So he's on. He's almost at Kerry Wood level. Almost on Kerry <laughs> Wood level. All right. With that, that's three to nothing for Roger. Roger is moving on to the round of thirty-two. But I want to hear from everybody. Mike, give me your opinion. I, I knew. I knew you were going to go for the Kerry Wood reference as soon as you started down that path. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add beyond what everybody else has said. Uh, Mike Trout is still. He's not, I wouldn't say early in his career, but he's still got a lot of career left. It'll be interesting to see what he does with the rest of it. But I also agree that dominant isn't necessarily something that I think of when I think of him. I mean, he's won three MVP awards before the age of 30, and that's nothing to sneeze at. But you know who won three Cy Young awards before the age of 30? Roger Clemens. And he's won, and he won four more after that. I mean, he was a batter that, again— uh, I think it was Jeff said it said it first, but I thought about it the very same way in terms of dominance. Uh, thinking of it in terms of who are the who's the opposing teams afraid of, they 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 feared Clemens much more so than Mike Trout. So I'm voting for Roger Clemens as well. Four to nothing for Roger. We're bringing the next vote over to Jeff. 
So I, I, as a Nats fan, uh, I followed as uh, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout came into the league together. They're always like pitted against each other. Uh, you know, I, I got to enjoy a few uh, solid years of fun Bryce Harper before he uh, you know, continued his long journey to the middle and went to Philadelphia. Uh, so yeah, I've always had a little bit of grudging respect for Mike Trout. I feel like he's a, a refugee from a different era. He's uh, he's he's playing the baseball of the 1970s in 2010s and 20s. Uh, and, and I don't even know what he would, what would he be like in the 1970s? Would he have been a dominant hitter if he, uh, he wasn't trying to adapt his game to the three true outcomes game that we, uh, that we, we've been, uh, adapting to nowadays. I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that, uh, yeah, rocket was effing terrifying and, uh, you know, capable of uh, striking out even the best hitter on any given team. It, no contest. Got to give it to Clemens. Got to give him the sweep. But uh, it's interesting to think about a uh, 1970 Mike Trout season. Well, with that, Roger Clemens is moving on to the round of 32, and that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're enjoying the pub... Whoa. Way wrong show. If you're enjoying boozy bracketology... A couple of things you can do to let us know. One, um, if you've got the financial means to do so, and I know it's been a tough time, patreon.com slash PTEBB is going to be your home for all the bonus content for both the Boozy Bracketology podcast and our sister podcast, The Pub Trivia Experience. Uh, jump on there. Uh, any Anything you can do to help is, uh, is going to help us kind of pay the bills here. We enjoy doing the show. Um, listen, it's tough. COVID sucks. I know it's not easy for everybody. If you want to help out and you just can't afford to do financially, like I, I get it. I've been there. Leave us a five-star rating, write us a review. That would be amazing. Tell your friends, have it on the car with your friends. That'd be great. Uh, join our Facebook group, the lounge fans of the pub trivia experience and boozy bracketology. Come on in there and tell us why we're wrong. Cause literally we're all on there. Neither here nor there. Instagram, Boozy Bracketology. Twitter at Boozy Brackets. For the Boozy Bracketology podcast, I have been Chris. I've been Scott. I've been Mike. I've been Jeff. I'm Tim. I'm Eric. We will see you next time with the miscellaneous portion of the bracket. Have a good one, everyone.